Right, hello, welcome to the uh, NHSR Community Podcast. Uh, well, I don't give them numbers anymore because they come out in a funny order, so there's no point. But we're recording today on the 9th of December, 2022, and this, I'm sure, will be out by Christmas. Um, so today we have uh, two special guests who both currently work at Pfizer, uh, Doug Robinson and Mike Smith. I'll get them to introduce themselves in a second. Just for those of you who are listening, you might not know what the NHSR community is. We're a community of analysts and data scientists who work in healthcare and social care uh, more generally in the UK. Uh, we like to use open source tools to use data, to data science, particularly R, but we do, we're friendly towards other languages like Python. And we also like to share code. That's another big part of uh, what we like to encourage in the NHSR community. And this podcast is all about basically showcasing kind of interesting work that's being done in open source in the UK and abroad, and also talking to kind of community leaders and uh, that kind of thing. So we'll just kick off with just let the guests introduce themselves. So uh, Mike first, please. Hi, I'm Mike Smith. I've been working at Pfizer for almost 30 years. Um, trained as a statistician, and now I'm the lead of the R Center of Excellence at Pfizer. I describe my role kind of like being a professional geek, because although I trained as a statistician, I'm not doing typically what a statistician does. Previously, I did modeling and simulation for clinical pharmacology, and I wasn't doing what other pharmacologists were doing. And now I'm doing data science, but I'm, I've never fit a machine learning or AI model in my life. So uh, professional geek sort of says, I do these roles, but kind of not as maybe usual. Cool. Yeah, well, data scientists who don't do machine learning, as anyone who reads my Twitter will know, get a good, get a thumbs up from me. And, uh, and Doug, please. So hi, everyone. I'm Doug Robinson. I lead a team called the Translational Biomarker Statistics Group at Pfizer. I've been in this role for just a little over a year, and, and our mission is to really analyze and, and understand the biomarker data that we collect in our Pfizer clinical trials and to try to characterize those patients and help clinical teams make decisions based on the molecular data that we collect. That is my day job, but... Uh, on the side, I should say, you know, Mike approached me on my second day working at Pfizer and, and we really were kind of a kindred spirit of sorts and we really have a passion for R. And, and so we had this idea that we started to develop and, and we really built this R center of excellence and, and, and the idea is to really help promote the use of R across Pfizer. And so, you know, uh, working with folks, uh, seeing how we can leverage R in different ways and, and, and really try to galvanize the community towards that end goal. Great, thanks. Yeah, so yes, I saw Mike talk uh, recently at a conference and there's clearly a lot of enthusiasm at Pfizer for R and also for co the community aspect of it as well, which is very exciting. So we're going to hear about that today. Um, so let's just kick off. Just tell us about the uh, the importance of R in, in your industry. Well, until fairly recently, I'd, I'd characterize pharma as being a, a SaaS shop for regulatory work for sure. So, I mean, other software is used for exploratory work in other parts of the business, like marketing, supply chain, business informatics, that kind of stuff. But there's kind of a shift now because we're seeing lots of people come from uh, come into Pfizer and, and into the pharma industry knowing R, knowing Python, because they've used these tools in their in their studies. And it seems that rather than have to retrain in SAS, you know, forget all you know in R and Python, let's teach you SAS and start over again. It's actually easier to just go, okay, you know, how can we use R? How can we use Python? Use what you know already and build on top of that. And I think the, you know, the, the maturity of these languages and tools is such that, 
you know, they're getting to the point where you can run them seriously in production, get good quality outputs that meets our quality measurements and, and you know, the kinds of attributes we're looking for, and then use that to deliver, you know, the, the reports or, you know, the insights that the business needs. So it's really, it, it's kind of, this, this shift isn't going to happen overnight. So we have to grow people into this, into using these tools. But it's really interesting to see how the industry is embracing open source generally and, and capitalizing on all the good work and development that's been done in these tools. So I'd like to add to what Mike's saying. It, it, he's exactly right. People are coming out of college, out of schooling with that, and they're fluent in R or Python, um, and they're not being taught SAS anymore. So these people have working knowledges. They have done their thesis dissertations in R. Um, they actually have GitHub repositories, and that's actually something that we look at when we interview candidates. We'd like to see what their online presence is in, in GitHub, see what packages they've created and kind of the work that they've done that's been shared with the community. That, that's very become a very important facet for us uh, when we're interviewing candidates. And so we also recognize that, you know, the data that we're collecting in our clinical trials is complex and it's diverse and, and we need to have the tools that are really up to date uh, and are able to handle these complexities. And, and that's the beauty of R, um, where we have uh, people who write these uh, functions and packages and, and um, our associates use them, right? And so they have to have uh, the ability to code properly, um, be able to exploit those data, run simulations on a high-performance computing grid. Uh, and, and so we see many different applications in, in, in the biomarker space, which is, you know, my bias. Um, we wanted to have very high-quality visualizations of these data because when you collect so much information, you have to find a way to convey it. And the best way to do that is through graphical displays. And so I think R has a significant advantage over SAS and its ability to produce high quality graphical displays. And now with the R Shiny really growing, people are really gravitating towards that kind of dynamic interactivity of the plots to really help dig in and explore those data uh, and, and help teams make decisions with their uh, with the data that they collect. And, and so I see the statistician and analyst role growing in complexity in that they're being asked to to find ways to better convey the massive amounts of information that we're collecting and um just as mike said there's there's uh people are looking towards uh r for automation and and for um uh for really innovative ways to think about and explore the data so shiny's it's seeing increasing adoption that is it at the moment where you are yeah, I mean, as far as I can tell, you know, Shiny is about the first thing that, you know, any R programmer, you get past the kind of read in your data, the next thing they really want to do is Shiny. <laughs> it seems, you know, bypass the boring bits and cut straight to the interactive web applications. I have noticed that, yeah, people, yeah, they, they do an intro course and they want to learn Shiny, which I think is great because it's exciting, but I do worry that they're going to kind of get a bit a bit stuck because it can I'm be... I'm with you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, learn to drive by driving a Porsche 911 down the M25, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah it, it can be painful as I've learned to my cost. Okay, excellent. So what was the need for an R center of excellence? So what, what problem did that solve having that? Well, at Pfizer, we don't have a centralized data science department. Right. So we have data scientists who sit in business lines. They're spread right across the world. 
different time zones, different pockets of, of data analytical teams. And it may be that, you know, we know one colleague who uses R in uh, Central America. He's the only person in his region who uses R. And so how do you help that person out? How do you kind of bring them in and go, okay, let's make sure you're not solving a problem that someone halfway across the world has already solved, right? So we've got somewhere in the region of 1,000 to 1,500 R users at Pfizer, conservative estimate, right? Because that, those are only the people that we know have downloaded R from our official source. So with that, you then say, well, I, I have no idea what these 1,000 people are doing what these 1500 people are doing. So let's try and form a community that will, you know, give them something to coalesce around. And and one of my favorite stories is the fact that there was a, a programming uh, colleague in sitting in West Coast America, having, you know, asking, how do I access this Oracle database? And someone sitting in Ireland, in a completely different part of the organization, the, the supply chain said, oh, I know the answer. And that's huge, right? Because that's, you know, colleagues solving each other's problems from literally halfway around the world. And and so that's where I think we get maximum, you know, power out of this. We bring people together. We show showcase good examples. Um, people can show off what they've been doing, you know. So if you're N of one sitting in a corner of the organization that no one else knows about, you can come to our meeting and show people what you're doing with the tidyverse, those kinds of things. So being able to uncover the good work that our colleagues are doing is is really important. Also trying to kind of harmonize how we do things uh, is really important. You know, so we have started to write things like best practice about developing shiny apps. This isn't to beat everyone over the head with it and go, there is only one way of doing this, but it's to kind of give a, a skeleton framework for people and say, look, if you're interested in doing it, we've had a thought, think about it, and we've documented what we think is good practice. You might want to take a look at this. I echo what Mike says. I, I, I think to me, you know, Pfizer is a very big company and and i think the size helps in but also hurts in some ways right so in in some ways it it helps because we're able to attract high quality talent um and and they're doing amazing things in r the challenges as mike pointed out is that you know we don't know what everyone is doing because in a sense they're very busy focused on their project work and delivering their their needs and their their analyses and and you know most people don't think oh wait i need to share this with the community or is there a community to share it with and so i think what what mike and i are trying to do is provide a kind of a platform to say look we know that you have these incredible nuggets of value that, and we want to open up and share them. And what we find is that when people do, we get the response of like, ah, I had the same question. And, and we know that those same questions are probably reverberating across the organization. And if we can find a way that we can open it up and, and share those, uh, uh, you know, success stories and share the tips and tricks and kind of find a common way of doing things that that will just help everyone out. Because we're, we're, you know, if you're solving it for one person, you're probably solving it for many, many more as well. I think the other thing that I would add to that is that it helps in discussions with groups like IT organizations. So if you're 30 people using R or using Python and you go to the IT organization and you go, hey, could you stand us up a server? They'll go, uh, no, because you're only 30 people. But if you're a thousand people using R, then suddenly you've got that uh, weight behind you 
to approach an IT organization and they say, hey, look, there's another thousand people out here want to use our within our business. Wouldn't it be great if we could get, you know, a server, you know, so professional grade products for running R and the the kind of plumbing in terms of IT to make things work more smoothly than they do just now. Because for a long time I was essentially, you know, looking after R for the little corner of the world that I worked in. And, you know, it was held together with string and sellotape and goodwill. And so now we're at a place where the IT organization are looking after containers for R, for Python, for those kinds of things. So it just helps kind of grease the wheels of those discussions so that the IT organization is solving the problem once rather than, you know, solving it for person X and then person Y and then person Z. It's just, it's so interesting because I think... Obviously, we're an NHS community, and a lot of the people in the NHS, I think, we get so frustrated because we think we have all these unique problems. But I know all the people who work in the NHS will be listening to you, and we've had exactly, it's precisely the same experience. It's that idea of the lone R programmer tucked away somewhere, squirreled away with no friends, no support. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you're doing on a global scale, aren't you? That's, that's the other thing that I think is so interesting about this story. Is that, you know, you're talking about, you know, South America, and, you know, and obviously Pfizer is, it's, you know, it's, it's one thing, isn't it? But it's just so distributed that it's really hard to kind of get people to kind of work together. Chris, it it must be like the NHS in other ways as well, because we talk about one NHS, but actually you're a collection of individual, you know, regional organizations, really. You know, so although you talk about NHSR, actually, you know, there will be a, you know, Southeast um, regional, they have their own battles. And it is very similar because we have similar business units and they don't necessarily always talk to each other, you know, because, well, it's hard, right, to to know who to talk to in the marketing division. So if we have an R community, suddenly all these people come together in the way that you have NHSR and you turn around and you go, oh, I had no idea you were doing that. That's really cool. So how do you do this? So how do you bring, is it kind of GitHub or is it Slack or like how are you kind of bringing people together? So maybe maybe I can start. Um, so we're trying to do this in many different ways and there's no really one size. We kind of, we kind of uh, Mike and I talked about this kind of multi-pronged attack, if you will, because it is, it is an advertising campaign of sorts to really energize the organization towards this goal. And, and so one of the things we have, as Mike mentioned, we have this MS Teams channel, which has uh, just about a thousand people where we can actually broadcast uh, tips and tricks, uh, education, latest, greatest, um, but we actually started this uh, our community of practice, which is a, a monthly seminar series where we actually talk to different folks in the uh, in different organizations and have them present their success stories on different projects. And and so that's kind of a a, a nice area where people come. We have about two hundred and fifty people come to that every single month uh, and uh, to hear the seminar series. We also have a monthly newsletter which goes out, which is uh, about the advances in R. So we actually distill down all of the latest, greatest advances in R and kind of focus it in, on what's what's in it for Pfizer. And so then we deliver a kind of a monthly newsletter there. Um, in education, uh, we're actually trying to help educate the community, develop training internally, and actually try to organize and categorize the training that's available externally. So once you, you know, it's it's there, but it's kind of overwhelming. But if you can actually kind of rein it in, 
kind of organize it and categorize it, then it's actually much more palatable for people to go in and, and potentially try because we know different people learn in different ways. So we actually have a mixture of, say, online training as well as kind of uh, virtual training that we can uh, then deliver to our associates to help give them more of the tools that they need to be successful in R. Another thing is, is also uh, we're trying to really help uh, interact with the external community. So we kind of are, are getting people to volunteer their time and, and actually join the different R consortium uh, working groups and initiatives out there to make sure that Pfizer's voice is being heard and that we're seen as a, kind of a leader in the external community as well. But to me, I think the the biggest, uh, probably one of the most powerful things that's happened is, is the creation of Mike's uh, team, which is kind of a focused group dedicated to the building of infrastructure and tools and, and help address questions that people have. And, and, and that's really kind of like the, the nucleus of, of how, how we're actually kind of energizing this, this path forward. So I'll, maybe I'll, Mike, please tell us about the, the team that we have for you. So let me rewind to a little earlier this year. So I pinned Doug against the wall in, in kind of September last year because he came to Pfizer from Novartis where he'd done a very similar thing and building a community, our community there. I pinned him to the wall and said, look, I want to do the same. How do we do it? Who do I talk to? What do I need? And we kind of came to the conclusion that we needed a technical team to help solve problems. And so, you know, we were thinking, what should we call this team? You know, how do we... How do, how do we label this group of technical experts who can come in and solve problems? And I was thinking the A team, uh, I don't know if, you know, would everyone get that? And and so I kind of decided, no, SWAT team is better. SWAT, you know, you, you kick down the doors, you come in, you solve the tricky problems, you sort things out, and then you leave it to the, the regular uh, folks to to pick up and, and use what you've done. So then I retrofitted a name to that, acronym as you do you know first you think of the name then you think of the hex sticker and then you think of what that actually all stands for so SWAT stands for scientific workflows and analytic tools nice right brilliant so that's who we are we are the SWAT team one of the things that i you know doug and i discussed this at, uh, at the outset and i decided on some uh, on like what was the ethos of this team so the ethos of this team is we build Lego pieces. We make Lego pieces that other people can then use. So, you know, we'll write a function that we'll write a function that accesses the database or we'll, we'll write functions, uh, shiny modules that help you to pull together a dashboard, those kinds of things. We are also Lego master builders. So given these Lego pieces, we can make amazing things, but we also pass on the basic Lego pieces to other people so they can build things, right? I want us to kind of work in such a way that we address problems without incurring technical debt. So technical debt is where, you know, you, you rush in, you do a job, you do it quickly because there's a deadline. And then years down the line, you look back at what you've delivered and you go, oh, I wish I hadn't done it like that. Or you leave it to someone else or someone else inherits that code and they're like, yikes. You know, I've I've just inherited a, a a spaghetti bowl of nonsense here, and I'm not sure how to separate it all out. So, eliminating technical debt means that we come in, we solve the problem. What we should leave, or 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 you know, leave for for someone else to pick up, 
is something that is easily maintained. They know where to go to to tweak and make it work for a different situation or a different data set or um, you know to to look at different variables in in something. So it's important to do it the right way. It's important to deliver that uh, with documentation and with with that kind of initial support so that people can pick it up. But the other big part was we are not just a dumping ground for other people's problems, you know. Hey, I've got this R code. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't like it. I want you to own it. You know, that's not what we're talking about. So we're not just there to mop up someone else's messy bit of R code. We can review it and we can work with the person who owns it to try and resolve problems. But we don't want to kind of just be that, you know, come in and clean up after someone else. So that was that was the kind of you know starting position for this SWAT team. We were then really lucky that in February this year, we got the go-ahead to go out and recruit. And we've found four really great uh, programmers to come in and, and you know, fill these positions. And, you know, they've got a, a wide variety of skills, but also great interpersonal skills. So, you know, they are the right kind of people that you can sit down, you can describe the problem, they'll get it. And they'll work with you to find the solution. So, you know, I, I think we've really been very lucky in finding the right people. But also I think it it's you know somewhat down to Doug and I giving this project a really strong push in the right direction, rather than just kind of, okay, now we've got it. What do we do? So I I'd like to add that you know you can't understate the senior management support right so so we you know we went to our leadership team and and pitched this idea and and trying to justify the utility and value not just to uh you know each other and the science but what's the value to Pfizer I mean, how how can this really benefit the community and, and so uh we got their approval and, and gained this headcount which was fantastic not only the headcount but their support so when they're in these kind of global town hall meetings they say look we've stood up this our center of excellence and they you know we really want everyone encourage people to look into this and and uh, uh, see what it's all about so we're getting the messages from the senior management plus the physical resources um and that that's that's fantastic. And and it's kind of like what I say, a necessary condition. Um, and, and I think the analogy that Mike and I have is like, it's like what, what we didn't want is to be like a fast food restaurant where you say, I, I'd like a hamburger, a, a Diet Coke and a, a shiny app. Thanks. Bye. And then go away. What we wanted to do was we we wanted to work with the people and say, look, this is your problem. You own it. Uh, we are here to help support you. But, you know, if we can help train them along the way in a problem that is meaningful to them, uh, then, you know, w- we can find a solution together and then they can then maintain that going forward. Uh, not doing that is actually not sustainable for uh, a team, a small team uh, like the SWAT team uh, going forwards. So you want to engage the folks get them to own it and so then they can drive it forward and provide and also tweak it um, to add additional functionality that they need for their projects. I think there's there's something I've I've kind of learned about myself and about you know people like me over the last year, which is that I think technical geeky people like to do a good job, 
and then they're who they're looking to share their success with is other geeks right you want to persuade other technical people that what you've done is really nice it's really clever it's got good attributes you know here it is let me show you it it's great that's why we all like going to our conferences right because those are our other geeks in the room and you get to show off the clever stuff you've been doing one thing that i find really tough is selling it up the line to managers and above you know not just you know just not just my manager but further further up the line so being able to market what we've done and saying, hey, we solved this problem, and let me show, it, show you how. The managers don't care how. They just care that that problem is solved. And it's a real challenge to know what is the thing that they are going to latch into and go, oh, now I see the value. So you've solved that problem once, and we can use it in a dozen different places. Well, that's great. You know, you've That's a force multiplier now. So kind of why I wanted to you know, speak to Doug and, and get his attention when he came into the organization was to learn how he had sold it up to managers in, in his previous organization, right? Because there there is a skill there in, you know, knowing what will push their buttons, you know, make them happy. How do you talk about the things, the, the, the technical stuff you've done in ways that will just engage their managerial brain and strategic brain. Um, because also, you know, we, we love the technical stuff and solving technical problems, but we sometimes, the things that we think of as this is a strategic win, right? Many managers up the line don't get what the strategic problem is. You know, they want today's problem solved. They are not so much fussed if you've done such a nice job of it that, you know, we will do it this way from now on and we will never have these problems again so being able to understand the problem break it down know how to pitch it to the right people at the right level is a hard process um it takes some skill it takes some uh, practice um but it is definitely something that i think you know us techie guys need to to wrap our brains around because we need to we need to get the buy-in from those managers as doug said earlier yeah, I think sometimes people they, they get frustrated because they know they're right, don't they? And they, they don't do the hard work to sell it. And I think that's a that's a big mistake. I was trying I can't remember what the conversation was, but I was trying to explain technical debt to, to a senior manager in my organization. I can't remember what the context was. Um but they did get it in the end and it was really helpful conversation because we've I've said lots of obscure geeky stuff in front of them before, you know, trying to explain what we're doing and then they, they don't really they don't understand that the importance of kind of data engineering and, you know, metadata, they just don't really know what that is right but I, I, yeah i got them to understand the idea of basically you, you know you can do something quickly today but then you'll be cleaning up the mess for the, for the rest of the year and, and they really got it and that really advanced the conversation and i like what you said about lego bricks as well i think that's that's really good because and we're trying and the nhs at the moment is trying to build what you're talking about a group of people who will make tools nobody's everyone's building these big kind of impressive things but no, well, people want to build tools, but nobody wants to pay them to do it. That's the big challenge for us. And this idea of having people who can make tools and people who can also, t you know, master builders who can take those little tools, and make them into big tools. I think that's a good, it's all about analogies, I think, really, with, with this kind of thing, isn't it? I, I'd like to add here that um, 
just having people that can build tools is actually not enough uh, because what happens is if, if you get those people building tools, there's this uh, take take shiny apps, for instance, you know, senior manager sees one shiny app and sees another shiny app and then makes the assumption, oh, well, those two then just immediately work together, don't they? And that's just not the case. And so what you need is kind of a concerted centralized effort so that you build things in a consistent way so that those pieces are interchangeable. You know, you can imagine, you know, if you had Legos here and then wooden blocks over there, they they just don't fit, right? It doesn't work. So you really need this kind of consistent, this harmonized effort uh, to do so. So then, then you can build those Lego pieces that you know will fit together. So then you can actually piece together um, kind of an, a, a shiny application or a suite of, of functions and tools that can actually then be used to to solve your problem. So um, I think I think people, uh, you know, this is where the strategy comes in. You say, okay, well, well, this is the kind of thing that we're looking for. Then get everyone together and focus on, okay, how, how do we do this so that we do end up with consistent pieces that can can uh, ensure that reusability uh, across projects? So here's here's a another fly in the ointment, which is there are, as I said, thousands of people who are working with R and doing stuff with R. For many of them, programming in R is not their day job or it's ancillary to their day job. And so if your day job is to get a protocol section, you know, stat section of a protocol finalized and out the door by the close of today, and you've got some simulations that need to be done, you're going to hack that together in whatever way in order to get your primary thing out the door, which is the protocol stat section, right? So having dedicated people who have a little bit of time is one thing, but it's, it is literally their job to think a little more clearly about how to do it in the right way. Is It's a luxury, but those are the people that then can solve those problems of what's the right way to do this rather than just, as I say, hack it together, get it working for today, get it out the door. Right, right. It's this difference between getting it done for a specific, like generating a figure for a specific trial versus getting something to work for all trials, right? So, writing a function, yeah. Writing a function, generalize it, making sure it works in different use cases. It's a very Uh, different question. The other part of that is, I, I know because I did this for a while, if kind of looking after R and R things or you know, substitute open source for any any time I use the word R here. If that's in addition to your main job, it's really slow to move things forward measurably on on you know to do the strategic stuff, right? Because you know, as you spin all your plates, the strategy one is probably the one that you you know spin last because no one's actually sitting waiting for that to happen. Okay, so it takes ages to move anything forward, um, and so it, you know, it having this dedicated our center of excellence helps us to move things forward, um, in and make some progress on some of these things that are really hard to make progress on individually. So, what are some of the sort of big wins? Like, how do you uh, what what do you point to when you're promoting this to kind of managers or whoever? What do you point to so far? 
Well, I, I mean, I, I think one of the things we do is we we point to the fact that we have a thousand people on this MS team site, right? So that's that's uh, fantastic. One of the things that Mike and his team are working on is is building out this infrastructure to actually capture metadata and QC information so we can actually do automation of the generation of our our figures right so this is we have kind of a proof of concept which we're actually going to start scaling next year you know i i think it's getting people to talk about it getting people educated so in our programming organization what they had a goal of of trying to start educating and upskilling uh, over 70% of their organization and they met and not only met but exceeded that goal so that's a a nice win the fact that we have this you know monthly seminar series which has really kind of caught fire we're getting con- consistently 200, 250 people joining every month and having the newsletter, we can actually track how many times that has been read or that site has been hit. You know, it's been hit over, it's hit over a thousand times a month. Um, so I, I think these are quantifiable bits that we can actually sell to our management to say, look, the needle is changing and we're, we're getting people to talk about it a lot more. And then it's actually becoming part of people's objectives for the coming year, right? So, you know, you have to have kind of the um, force <laughs> on the organization from senior management to, to actually help promote this this utility. And, and the fact that it's being mentioned more frequently by senior management in these large town hall meetings is also a nice way to, to see for people to hear it again and to see that 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 is something that's um, benefiting the organization. So I think these are these are different kind of uh, justification or, or, or measures of success that then we can sell upwards. I think, you know, your question can be answered in a different way. You can talk about specific successes on projects. Maybe, Mike, maybe you can tell about how the, the SWAT team is actually impacting specific groups and, and what have you. Yeah. I mean, those... Are... <laughs> Those aren't so much big wins individually. You know, it is, it's a collection of smaller wins, right? So um, we set a goal of being able to assist people within business lines with prob- with the problems they had and trying to resolve them using R, right? So these are conversations that we have. Problem People come to us with a problem. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to create this dashboard. You know, I'm trying to stand up this version of R here to do this thing. We can have those conversations and help them out. And we are having those conversations. The thing then is that, you know, those those add up. But what we like, what I love at the end of this year, you know, we're getting to the end of the year where we're looking at you know, what we've we done over the, the past year. We can then look and say, this is you know, 20 odd places where we have added value to the business and and help them solve their problems. And that's great, you know. So it's great to be able to, you know, be that SWAT team that is available for people to call on and say, hey, you know, come, come show me how you do this with R. But I think the community as a whole has really helped us. I, I mean, I joke about having, you know, there's only one R in Pfizer, Right. I mean, we have many versions of R at Pfizer, right? But the the fact is that we now have one R community. So instead of having little pockets of people doing stuff, we can now come together um, and start thinking about bigger things of you know using R at Pfizer or talking about R at Pfizer. Maybe we could have an R conference internally. 
right? Or an R shiny day or a hackathon or something like that, right? If that was, you know, 150 people within the stats organization, I'm not sure that we would really get very far with that. But with a community of the size that we have, we can start thinking about that, you know, because people from all different places could talk about what they're doing and, and, uh, you know, have those like the NHSR conference, right? It, there's power when you get together, you sit down and you see what each other's doing and you go, huh, I had no idea that we could do that. Yeah, that's my big lesson, actually, the last four years is that basically the the more of you there are, the stronger you are. That, that's the that's the NHSR. Uh, that's how we've succeeded, really, I would say. OK, right. Let's let's finish with the last question. then. So uh, so what advice can you give if I was wanting to start a new community around, say, R or Python or whatever it might be? What advice would you give me to how to get started well, or how to, you know, all the way through so I think my top tip is don't try to boil the ocean. You know, change involves small wins with individuals that if you do enough of those and you, you kind of snowball it, then over time you will, you know, have bigger impact and, and you know, that change will ripple out across an organization. Doug has mentioned it already and I'll, I'll say it again. You will have a massively higher probability of success if the leaders get behind it. So if you tell them what it is you're going to do, why it's important, what value the organization will get from having this coalesced group and community, then, you know, they hopefully will endorse it, but then, you know, help you celebrate the wins, help you celebrate successes. And, you know, that's what you want, really. If you're at the bottom of the tree and you're trying to whip up and energize a community and it's just you it'll be exhausting and you'll burn out and it'll all just fall apart so you you need the kind of bottom up where you get your you know people you know your your kind of tribe together and you meet and you discuss but you should also be thinking to you know let the leaders know this is what we're doing this is why we're doing it and i think there's great power in in you know, coalescing this community. So how many did you, just out of interest, Mike, how many people did you start with then when you started the community? How many of you were there? Me and Doug. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you need at least two, basically. <laughs> um, but but I, I think the other thing that I would say there is having two people with a strong view of what, where do we want to be? You know, what is the transformative power of this? You know, because if you're just sitting in a room going, well, I don't know, <laughs> let's just meet anyway, that's nice. But you're just talking to your pal about what you do. If you have that strategy and strategic vision of, do you know what, in three years we need to be doing this thing. You know, that's where you can say, well, how do we get there? What do we need? You know, uh, who do we need to rope in here to, to answer these problems? You know, for me, I think I think Mike and I talk and it's almost like you're hearing the same person. Right. Uh, so we have this kind of we kind of joke with one another. that They have this kind of psychic connection with one another because it's we think along the same way. So when Mike and I start to think in strategy, what, where should we go? We have these really in-depth, lengthy conversation and all of a sudden time's gone. We're like, oh, my God, where did that hour go? Um, and uh you know, you, you need someone to bounce ideas off of. Um, and that that's really helpful. I, I think what you have to recognize for uh, organizations is that change is hard. 
it's really hard and and in in the pharma industry they're very SaaS centric right you have people who only know SaaS who and who have done it for decades and it's worked right and it's worked and, it <laughs> and they don't want to give it up why change it's already working right why would i want to change it and so then you you have to recognize that not only like it changes hard but people are, are scared like i don't i don't want to do stuff in arc i have SaaS, right and um i think what we what that means is that you know for the the people like like Mike and myself to promote this change, we we really want to um, be able to um, energize the community, right? So we really want to try to give them that justification and having the SWAT team trying to make it as easy as possible, and so that they can see the the benefits. That's really that's really important. So people will ask, okay, you want me to change? What's in it for me? So you have to be able to. Um, communicate effectively, not only why, but what's the benefit, right? So for instance, looking at the code, seeing how you can do, uh, instead of this massive SAS code, you can actually do it in just a few lines in R. You can show automation, capturing information so that you don't have to copy it into, say, Word or Excel documents, showing that it's actually going to save you time. But that takes effort to do it correctly on the coding side, right? So that you can give them tools that that uh, do a lot for them. Um, and then actually just being there, answering questions, having educational sessions and having these seminar series so then people can actually see how it's being used in different ways, seeing that others uh, are, are benefiting from it. And, and so it's not just Mike and I spouting off the benefits. It's we, we really try to engage others to speak as well. So for instance, in the programming community who are very SaaS centric, we're actually engaging those who have made that journey towards R and getting them to communicate to others to, about the benefits. So they're hearing it from their peers, which is actually much more powerful, as well as engaging the senior management as well to say, hey, this is wonderful. We want everyone to do this. This is going to be part of your objectives for the subsequent year. So I, I, I think, you know, it's it's not a one size fits all. Uh, you have to hit it in different ways, and and that's that. And and recognize that it's going to take time. Um, and you have to say the same message over and over again, uh, and then it starts to stick. And, th and that's how you start to change that organization. I think that the SWAT team, if you like, is a safety net for for many people starting into using R, because you can say to folks, oh. You could use our markdown in Quarto and have reproducible reporting. So you don't have to cut and paste your results into a, a Word document every time. And they'll go, well, that sounds nice. I'd like to not have to cut and paste all the time. But I don't know how to do this, Mike. So if you've got a SWAT team or if you've got a dedicated group there that can come in and go, well, look, I'll sit with you and we'll work through this the first time and I'll show you how it works so that next time you, you know, you've got a template to start from. It's not so scary. We'll be there as a safety net the first couple of times, and then you'll be happy to go and do this yourself. Um, or at least, you know, it won't be as daunting to start out doing it. So I think that, you know, having, again, those, those dedicated people whose day job it is to just kind of sit with you as you're working through a problem and help you solve it using R and open source tools is is fabulous 
Yes, I'm really keen on this SWAT team idea. I, I, I would what there isn't one in the NHS, and I would very much like there to be one. So hopefully someone will listen to this and give me some money, and I can make one. <laughs> Um, okay, well, it's a great discussion. I mean, it's really fascinating. I'm sure everyone listening will think the same thing. It's, it's just so interesting. You know, Pfizer, a kind of global pharmaceutical industry, and the NHS, you know, apparently quite different. Um, but, you you know, the same challenges. And, and yeah, you, you've solved the problems in really interesting ways. So it's really it's really great to hear. So, uh, so thanks for coming on. Um, just before we close, can we find you on social media? Uh, I can put some links in the in the show notes. I am Mike K. Smith on Twitter and also at mastodon.social. And how about you, Doug? Are you on social media? I am not very, uh, I don't have a very strong presence, but I'm on LinkedIn and I can send out email addresses uh, for people to contact me that way. Great. Okay, thanks. So I'll get those and put those in the show notes. So before we close, I will just thank Tom Gemmett, who'll be doing the edit. We've had a very uh, smooth session today, so I think it'll only be a light edit, but I'm sure I'll do a marvellous job as always. Um, so thank you again to my guests. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you have any questions or comments, uh, please send them to nhs.rcommunity at nhs.net, and we'll uh, see you next time. Thanks very much. <laughs>